Hi everybody and welcome to another edition of the Don't Call It Soccer podcast. Poor old Jesse is unavailable and has been for a couple of weeks, so I'm stepping in with the guys just to host up here and uh, get a pod out and all that's going on at the moment in the MLS. As always, we have in Texas, Preston Weatherington. Preston, how are you today? All well with you? Yeah, doing well. Uh, FC Dallas is having their big rivalry against Houston this weekend, so just trying to get all the prep work for that. Uh, So just staying busy down here. Yeah, rivalry week. What's what's all that about for a for a European sort of <laughs> who doesn't know anything about the MLS? Educate me a little. Okay, so uh, MLS is a growing brand, and they're having to compete with so many big markets that are a lot more well established. So uh, MLS, they like to cluster their big rivalry games together uh, all in one weekend, a couple times out of the year. Uh, so that way they can ha- so that way they can try to get as much viewership as possible. So they label it as Rivalry Week. Uh, they have a sponsor for it. Heineken is the sponsor. So uh, they're trying to make a big deal out of it to try to gain viewership and to try to build the MLS brand. Mm, I think we saw so similar in England. They used to do that on a Sunday and try and get the, get the bigger games all on at the one time and in a row. So I, I can understand the, the thinking behind it. And also joining us on the pod, as always, we have Ahmed Malik. Uh, how are you this evening? All well with you? Yeah, everything's going well here. Uh, the Union have a big game this weekend against DC United. I wouldn't say we're necessarily rivals, but the Union are just trying to climb out of the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Any win's a big win for them right now. Indeed. Well, listen, we have a great guest. Uh, Mr. All In Network himself has, has come across in, in the form of Steve Gennaro. It's the first time I've ever been on a pod with you, Steve. I've known you long, for long enough, but it's the first time I've ever spoken. You're very welcome to World Football Index. And first and foremost, thank you so much for the for the amount of work that you put in, the cooperation that we have. It's, it's, it's immense. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it, Dave. And uh, yeah, we know uh, life is good over here in Toronto. Obviously, all things football related are pretty good here in Toronto. But yeah, very happy to to have World Football Index and all of your shows airing on the All In Network. And uh, yeah, life's life's good here, man. Toronto, Toronto FC looking pretty solid this season. Indeed, and of course, we carry your pod uh, on World Football Index uh, TFC Talk. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be familiar with it. And I think maybe that's a, that's a good place to start uh, with you, Steve. I think it's Montreal this weekend uh, that you have. Uh, what's, what's your thoughts in around this game? So, yeah, yeah, Toronto plays Montreal this week actually in uh, the domestic cup. So, although Montreal is our closest rival, and certainly if, the, if they were going to put the rivalry week match and then put Toronto with anybody, they would put them with Montreal. It's the 401 Derby, we call it, because the 401 is the name of the interstate or the highway that runs between Toronto and Montreal. But we actually played uh, midweek against them this week in the first leg of a two-legged tie, which is the championship for the Canadian Championship, which we call the Voyagers Cup. And the winner of that championship actually goes to CONCACAF Champions League next season. So Toronto-Montreal play uh, the first leg. They, they drew 1-1 in Montreal at Stade um, Saputo, or the Saputo Stadium. And then the second leg of that will be in Toronto at BMO Field on Tuesday night of next week. So that's, um, that, that's I guess, the, the first part of the rivalry. The second game that Toronto FC will play this weekend is Friday night at home. They host uh, New England. And I guess you could call that a rivalry maybe in the sense that, you know, only two teams have beaten Toronto FC in regular, in, in, uh, in regular time over the last six months. And uh, one of them is New England. So an opportunity here for Toronto to maybe get some revenge against New England uh, Friday night at home. But the likes of this uh, Toronto-Montreal rivalry, um, you, you know, I, obviously I'm, I'm not a great fan of, of MLS. I don't watch an awful lot of it. Does this rivalry, you know, are, are you talking 
big crowds, a real, you know, we, I think this podcast in many occasions has talked about, you know, the development, the development of, of, you know, the real sort of tribalism and rivalries uh, against teams. And Canada seems to be a little bit further ahead than the States. I always feel, you know, when, when I'm listening to it, uh, I take it these rivalries are real, Steve. Yeah, you know, there's there's some good, bad, and ugly to this. So, for example, last season, Toronto FC supporters were not allowed to travel to Montreal for any of the away matches. They were banned by the league itself, by MLS, who had stepped in because of a series of violent interactions between the supporters groups, the Toronto uh, supporters and the Montreal supporters uh, in Montreal. That w- included not just the lighting of flares in the stadium, because, uh, of course, in MLS, you can only light off flares if the team themselves provides them to you. <laughs> so the supporters had stuck in their own flares and sent them off they apparently had broken chairs within the stadium uh and then of course there was a series of fights that broke out both in the stadium and outside the stadium so there's a there's a full-scale ban on toronto uh supporters groups traveling to montreal and we've seen the same thing in the other direction as well when montreal supporters travel to toronto they are grouped into a very small section and that section is completely surrounded by basically more security guards and police than you'll find in the rest of the stadium put together so there is a bit of a tribalism here and a heated rivalry sometimes which is you know gets a little bit violent, which which is too bad. Other than that, though, there's a lot of good-natured uh, gesturing back and forth between the two clubs, uh, between the social media accounts, between the players, uh, and, and as well. When you talk to them, you know they they also feel the rivalry as well. And part of it's an English-French thing. Part of it's a Toronto versus Montreal thing, which is a long-standing rivalry just between the two cities as to maybe sort of who's the bigger or best city uh, in in in, in, uh, in Canada itself. So there's a lot that goes into the the nature of this long-standing rivalry between Toronto and Montreal, and we definitely see it played out on on the pitch itself. Well, talking about on the pitch itself, what way do you actually see the game going? Who would be the favourites here, and why? You know, uh, in in boxing, they always say that styles make fights, and so while I would say that Toronto FC should be the favorite in any game or any match that they play uh, because they are clearly the best team in MLS right now uh, in, in, in the best form with the most depth and the most talent. I know FC Dallas supporters like Preston might argue otherwise, uh, but you know, you know, I think that the results speak for themselves with what Toronto FC is currently doing. So I think they should be the favorites in any, in any, any match they play. Whenever they play Montreal, you can throw all that out the door because styles make fights and uh, Montreal is a team that likes to play on the counter. So they're always happy to, sit in and let you have the ball and then just wait for their moment and pounce and we've seen that uh, we saw it in the game this week in the 1-1 draw that's how Montreal created their first goal uh, the, the one goal that they scored we saw it last year when Montreal came to Toronto in August and won a game one nothing, ending a, uh, the longest winning streak in, or unbeaten streak in TFC's history uh, when uh, Piatti basically just had one shot and that one shot was enough to, to, to win the game and we saw that again as well in both legs of the Eastern Conference final last year uh, for, for MLS between Toronto and Montreal two electric games lots of goals were scored so these two teams they know each other very well and and Montreal because of their counter-attacking style and because of the danger of players like Piatti up top for example really um, are are always going to be in every game they play against Toronto FC having said that you know Toronto FC can concede goals and still really do damage people don't recognize they're one of the best defensive teams in MLS over the last two seasons and that often gets overshadowed shadowed because you have Josie Alvador, Sebastian Javinko, Tosaint Ricketts scoring goals at, you know, at an electric pace. 
but so Toronto can beat you in a lot of different ways. So over the two legs of the tie of the, the Canadian Championship, the Voyagers Cup, uh, I'd expect to see Toronto FC win that, especially now that they're, they've taken an away goal in the first leg, and now they're coming home to BMO Field, where they've won six straight games and where they haven't lost all season and where they haven't actually lost at BMO Field now in regulation time going all the way back you know, to, to last summer. Uh, they're going to be a very difficult team. Uh, to, to Toronto will be a very difficult team to beat. So I expect them to win the, the Voyagers Cup. Uh, and 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 uh, take the second leg of the tie. No, that's cool. And, and Preston, I'll bring the guys in here. Preston, yourself, would you agree with Steve there? Do you, do you do you think that's the way it'll go? What way do you see this panning out? Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with uh, Steve saying that Toronto is going to get the win. I mean, Steve nailed it on the head perfectly that uh, Toronto has been immense at home. Uh, they've been the best team in the league. I mean, uh, you're saying that SC Dallas fans can argue that, but, you know, I can't really argue too much with two points per game, having an attack of Josie Outdoor, Sebastian Giovinco, Toussaint Ricketts, having Michael Bradley run your midfield. Uh, it's been a very solid team. And uh, having that having that home advantage in the second leg, I don't see Toronto losing this one. And Amit, yourself, again, are, are you firmly on the side of Toronto or do you see an upset? Uh, I'm on the side of Toronto. And one other thing to add is that, you know, Montreal has to go to Columbus on Friday while Toronto gets to stay home uh, on Friday when they face um, uh, New England, as uh, Steve mentioned earlier. But, you know, that road trip, you know, it's a really thick fixture of games. We know Toronto is the deepest team in the league. You know, they've already rotated their squad this season. We've seen them win when they do so. I think they're just going to be, you know, at home. And as described, they have too much firepower. You know, it won't be easy because it's a rivalry game. As you mentioned, the way that Montreal plays makes it hard. But in the end, you know, it's hard to predict another result. We'll hear one more thing before you, before you end there. Toronto has a, a promotion right now at home. So whenever they play a match at home, if they win the match and if they score two goals, every fan in the stadium gets free pizza the next day at a local pizza restaurant. And over the last six home games, they've won all six, and they've scored two or more goals. So at BMO Field, when you play Toronto FC, you will have to score three goals if you expect to come away with the victory. And that's going to be really difficult to do against the Toronto FC team that concedes less than a goal and a half per game over the last two seasons. I feel sorry for the pizza company. They go out of business. By the start of the <laughs> I know. They had, they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. They're taking it in the shorts right now. <laughs> Steve, I have a question for you. Sure, go uh, ahead. Okay, so I was looking at the, the lineups last night. It showed that Giovinco wasn't even on the game day roster. Uh, so is that sort of a normal thing with the Canadian Championship? Do they try to rotate players more often? Because obviously Giovinco is arguably their best player on the team, uh, one of the best players in the league. Uh, yeah. So why why would Toronto not play their best player in the first leg of a final in the, in the championship? Do they see it more of like the U.S. Open Cup, where they use it as an opportunity to play uh, more of their reserves? I think there's a couple of reasons to that. So first of all, he, did, uh, he ended up playing. 
he was on the he was on the bench and he ended up coming in and playing uh, for the last 25 minutes or so of the match itself. There's a few reasons. So the first reason I think is that they're playing Friday at home. It's a very short turnaround. So they're in Montreal on Wednesday and then they're home on Friday. They chartered home directly after the game or after the match. And so they're already back in Toronto. And as we're recording this, uh, they're getting ready to train uh, before, for, for tomorrow night's match. So there's a really short turnaround in Javanko this spring and even going into last fall. We know has had a little bit of injury concerns with, you know, quads and legs and cramps and stuff like that. So I think there's that's the first thing, right? Try not to to over, overwork him uh, when, when you don't necessarily need to. You only need one away goal in Montreal. You don't actually necessarily need to win that first leg in order to be dominant and to take the tie so that's part of it going on there like you said some of its squad rotation you want to see other players as well just like in the u.s open cup lots of teams use this as an opportunity to play some of their younger players Uh, in the canadian cup or the voyager cup one of the stipulations is at least three canadians must start in the for for every team in 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 the match itself and so starting in his place was jordan hamilton who's uh, just a youngster i think he's like 22 years old 23 years old plays for tfc2 which is their their usl team but also you know has been playing with TFC the first team a little bit over the last month or so and we saw him last spring get a fair amount of minutes uh, and he scored in, in each of his last two appearances so maybe a little bit of reward from the coach because he's been scoring some goals getting some more minutes putting in some hard work give him the start in Montreal also helps meet the Canadian quote which I think or, uh, or quota which is also uh, probably a part of it as well and the last thing which is interesting here uh, or maybe not be interesting I don't know you tell me is that the CONCACAF Champions League rules changed uh, as, as far as seeding and who gets in and how many spots they get over the last 12 months. And so Toronto FC actually won this competition last year, the Voyagers Cup, but did not get seeded or placed in CONCACAF Champions League for this season. And, and so what that meant is uh, because they won it last year uh, and because the seeding got rearranged and changed for who gets to play in CONCACAF, Toronto FC was guaranteed that they would play the winner of this year's Voyagers Cup in a one-game playoff at BMO Field if they didn't win it themselves in August. So even if they lose to Montreal across the two legs, Montreal would still have to come to Toronto and play a single-game elimination in August to see who gets to go to CONCACAF next year. So I think a lot of those things play, played into Toronto's favor. They didn't need the win in Montreal. Uh, you know, getting the one away goal now means that Montreal has to come to Toronto and to BMO Field and basically beat them twice in the next month and a half at BMO Field if they want to go to CONCACAF. And that's very unlikely to happen. So I think you see a lot of those things playing in. And Greg Benny's again, just trying to work his way through the squad and get the rotation. But make no mistake about it, Preston, we talked about this last year. I know uh, Toronto FC is very focused this year on winning the treble. They want to be the first MLS team to win the treble. They, they see themselves as the greatest team in the history of MLS, and they and they want to prove that to the world. So they want to win the Domestic Cup. They want to win the Supporters' Shield, and they want to win the MLS Cup, and they want to win all three in the same calendar year and be the first team ever to do that. Okay, Dougie. Well, let's move on to another rivalry. Uh, we'll, we'll move to you, Preston, in Texas. And quite a quite a nice little quirk with this one. Uh, the pri- the prize for winning this game is a working Civil War era cannon. Now you know I I always got a kick out of the couple of Bedouras down here in South America. You get you know Man of the Match gets four tires as as a prize, not a bottle of champagne or anything, but a working Civil War cannon. Like seriously, who, who does it go to, Preston? First of all, so. Uh- the winner of the overall series for the course of the season will be the holders of the cannon the following season. So right now it goes to, uh, it goes, it's in Houston right now because uh, Houston ended up winning uh, the, the season series based off goal differential. And that's, uh, 
that's solely due to FC Dallas having a horrible game at the beginning of the season where they lost 5-0, uh, which was a rare loss, especially in a rivalry game like that. Uh, but the prior four seasons was uh, was FC Dallas holding the cannon. Uh, depending on... I, I know that they used to fire the cannon quite a bit, but I've noticed that they've been doing that less and less. Uh, whenever FC Dallas first had the cannon during the early... Firing the, the early- cannon at what, Preston? Just, sorry, my curiosity is getting better. What were they just firing it at the game? Yeah, firing it, firing it at the game. I think they were firing blanks or something, but uh, it was an, it was a nice it was a nice quirk that whenever FC Dallas scored, uh, they fired the cannon. Uh, so that was uh, that was something unique that you don't really get to see too often. Uh, but this rivalry is uh, has been very interesting uh, over the last several years. This last year was very uh, was very unique. Uh, obviously, with that five zero loss. And uh, the second that second game in June was that one was in Dallas, and there's just a torrential downpour to where you looked like you're playing. You're, it looked like that you're playing football in a pool. Uh, they had to delay the game for about 45 minutes to try to get all the rainwater off the pitch, so that way they can actually play a functional game. Uh, so there's been a uh, there's been a lot of uh, interesting things. Uh, throughout the last few years, between the cannons, the the obscene score lines, the the famous crazy Texas weather, uh, you you definitely get it all here. Well, taking your your FC Dallas head off for a second, what way do you see what what way do you see this game panning out, Preston? To to proceed that uh, they last met about a month month and a half ago, it was a nil nil draw. Uh, it was really a battle of great goalkeeping on both sides. Uh, Jesse Gonzalez and Tyler Derrick both had incredible saves. Um, they're going to Houston for uh, for the game on Friday. Uh, Houston has not lost this season at home. Uh, that's that's one thing that's unique about this season is that both Dallas and Houston Dynamo are red hot this season. Dynamo have had a horrible past four or five seasons. So uh, it's nice to see a little bit of fire in this rivalry. Uh, but with how good Houston's been at home, having Eric Torres uh, scoring 10 goals so far this season, uh, been a main focal point in their attack, it's going to be difficult to see Dallas come out with a win. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm thinking that we're going to see a draw. Uh, probably 1-1. I think we're going to see phenomenal goalkeeping again uh, just because uh, we've seen we've seen some great goalkeeping from uh, both Jesse Gonzalez and Tyler Derrick, uh, not just in that game, but throughout the season. Jesse Gonzalez is in the process of changing his nationality from Mexico to the U.S. men's national team. He'll be going to the Gold Cup. Um, so we're going to see we're going to be seeing quite a bit of good goalkeeping in this uh, in this matchup on Friday, but I'm think I'm thinking it'll be a one-one draw. And how about yourself? Do you see anything different than that? Do you see anything other than a boring local derby draw? It's got to got to be a winner. Uh, I think there could be a winner. You know, there's a lot of offensive firepower on both sides. Obviously, as Preston said, that you know the goalies are both really talented. I think Houston might be you know a little more boosted just being at home for this one. And you know, Eric Torres, as Preston said, is also really good, but. 
One thing that really stood out to me recently, you know, obviously this guy's been getting a lot of national attention is Kellen Acosta, who's been really good for FC Dallas this year. I think he's a real difference maker. It, it's hard because both teams are playing some some good football, and I think they might be at the same level. But I think Houston just might, you know, get a set piece late on. They're pretty good on set pieces this season. Maybe squeak this one out 2-1 if I had to pick a winner. But, you know, not. I hope I hope it's a good derby for you, Preston. I hope so as well, for sure. And, yeah, I, I definitely have to echo what you said about Kellen Acosta. He's been phenomenal. Uh, Maxi Rudy has been having uh, a career season with eight goals. I mean, the most that he's scored in a season is 10, and we haven't even reached the all-star break yet. Uh, however, I must say that uh, the, reason why I'm, the reason why I'm calling it a draw is because Dallas is having a bit of a goal-scoring drought uh, they've been struggling in front of in front of net. Their new DP signing Christian Coleman has yet to score a goal. Uh, Roland Lamont, uh, the majority of his goals came from a hat trick against Chicago. Uh, Michael Barrios is probably uh, probably one of the more underrated wingers in MLS. But there's just been an overall struggle to convert uh, to convert to for Dallas to convert goals. And, you know, I've got to agree with you about these, uh, probably a late set, late set piece winner for Houston. Uh, that's, that's definitely one of Jesse Gonzalez's weaknesses is, uh, is on set pieces. Uh, we've seen that quite a bit with him. Uh, we saw this last weekend against Vancouver uh, that I'm not sure if it's Jesse not knowing how to line up his wall properly or if he's uh, not positioned himself well after he sets up the wall. So uh, there's a very there's a very good possibility that Dallas could concede on a set piece. Well, listen, that's grand. Let's move into to Amit's area and Union have your big rival game this weekend. Tell us a little bit about that and tell us a little bit about what you expect happening in it. I wouldn't say the Union and DC United are really like pure rivals. You know, Union, they came in the league in 2010. They're still kind of finding it. I'd say there's definitely more of a New York rivalry, Red Bulls, and especially New York City FC because they're kind of new too. But they, these teams have played each other a lot in recent years, uh, and right now they're both kind of bad. Uh, Union four seven and four, DC United five eight and three. DC United is coming off of a really nice two one win. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday last night against Atlanta, and Union are coming off of a tough two zero loss against Red Bulls uh, last weekend when uh, Derek Jones was sent off. They conceded two late goals to Bradley Wright Phillips. Right now, the Union aren't really playing well, and the goals have dried up, kind of similar to Dallas. CJ Sapong has quieted down. Bedoya hasn't really been creating. Harris Madunian is actually really good. They're Bosnian international they signed this season. And, you know, they're at home, and it's still a good place to play, Talon Energy Stadium. But DC United a little hot. I... Personally, I don't see the union, you know, turning it around just quite yet. Things are, you know, looking pretty down uh, at the club right now. So I don't, I don't really see that. The one other game I'm actually really excited for, also on Saturday, is New York Red Bulls versus New York City FC. You know, it's always great when you can have an inner city rivalry, and it's a bit lopsided. They've played seven times since both since New York City FC was formed. The Red Bulls have won six, but like you can feel kind of some bad blood developing. New York City wants to make a name for themselves. That could be a really good game, and both teams are playing, you know, some really good football this time this time of year. New York City winning that really rain-soaked game against Seattle. I think that's going to be, you know, one of the games of the week. 
No, indeed. And um, before you you talk on it, press before I come to you on that. It's just, it's just an aspect. You're both talking about goals drying up there for your teams, and you know, you're playing obviously in June, Northern Hemisphere. It's summer. Do you feel that maybe certainly for for the likes of Dallas and so on would be could be quite warm there? Would would that have an effect on you in some way, Preston? Uh, usually, that's an advantage. Usually, it's an advantage for FC Dallas, but uh, Dallas is currently on a long road trip. Um, they've been they haven't had a home game at all in June. Uh, however, this uh, after this Houston match, uh, they'll be having three home games in a row between U.S. Open Cup and MLS play. So I think that I think it's more of a uh, more of a road game issue in a league where there's a huge advantage for the home team. So I think that's more the issue with the goals drying up for Dallas than it is uh, just uh, poor run of form. No, and and so then how would you see the the Union DC United game going? Uh, would you agree with with Amit there, or do you have a different view on it? You know, this is a very interesting uh, matchup because DC United has really struggled in front of goal, uh, only scoring twelve goals in sixteen matches. Uh, yeah, they got this. Uh, they got this one against Atlanta, who have also been pretty wishy washy. Uh, but before that, I think they were close to three hundred minutes without scoring a goal. And uh, early on in the season, it took them like maybe four or five games before they got their first goal of the season. So it just depends on what kind of DC United you're going to get. Uh, whether you're going to get uh, the DC who can't who can't score for uh, three or four games, or if you're going to get uh, a DC United who's going to score two or three in a match. Uh, I'm thinking that DC United is probably going to be uh, having this advantage coming off the high of, of uh, beating a very popular, very well-marketed, uh, very popular uh, Atlanta United uh you know, I, I'm I'm going to give the edge towards DC United for uh, for this match, but it's going to be a very narrow advantage. Yeah, and the Union playing at home, you know, they're always going to be at least competitive, and you know, they're going to be frustrated. They've lost twice in the MLS to the two New York teams. Um, you know, they're they're going to be motivated to come out, especially after a really poor start to the season. They kind of came back a little, so th- they'll make it competitive. But I think, yeah, we both agree that DC United probably will. Just have a, a little, you know, extra here. Well, listen, that's grand, guys. Let's move on then to the the big rivalry in New York. And Ahmed, I'll come to you first on this one. Uh, what way do you see New York playing out over the weekend? Again, you know, two two of the the, the leading lights, let's say, of of the the MLS. Um, well, New York City, uh, they've been really impressive, and David Villa has been just so immense this season. You saw last year; he's kind of the MVP of the league maybe you know debatably obviously Sebastian Giovinco but he he just really is a creative hub for them and Jack Harrison's been really good and they don't concede too much either and you know I I really think this is a team coming in really hot and the Red Bulls while they did win against the Union 2-0 they really struggled uh for 80 minutes and for like 20 minutes against a 10-man Union side to score Bradley Wright Phillips eventually did but outside of Sasha Kliston and Bradley Red Phillips, they didn't really have a lot of attacking prowess. And I think, you know, New York City is really motivated having lost six of seven. And, you know, they're, they're going to be on the road. Technically, they'll be playing in New Jersey 
uh, in Harrison, New Jersey. But I think this is a game New York City can win. They're, they're pretty hot coming in. David Villa might score one or two and, and, and get another win for a really informed side. I'm pressing. Do you share that or, or would you go different? Uh, you know, this is a very interesting game. I uh, I was going to bring up the stat I made about uh, New York Red Bulls winning six out of the seven matchups. Uh, I do want to point out uh, my my favorite matchup in this series uh, was the 7 oh, win. Yeah, that one does not sit well with the New York fans. The New York oh, City fans, they, they've been trying to avenge that for a long time. Exactly, and I think that's I think that's where a lot of this motivation comes in because Patrick Vieira was talking about uh, how that still sits very sour with the players and the fans. I mean, no surprise about that because uh, with one of their losses coming as a seven nil against your crosstown rival, uh, luckily they don't have Dax McCarty anymore because he was a huge factor in that game. But uh, David Villa has been ridiculously good this season uh sean johnson has had a great season and goal for new york city fc uh i love the influence that andre perlo has uh he hasn't been getting as much game time because he's like 75 years old uh but uh but i like the components that new york city has new york city fc has uh and they've been playing very well this season they've been playing well away from their home as well uh, that's something that they've struggled with in the past, but they've been doing really solid uh, away from Yankee Stadium. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with New York City FC getting this win, uh, avenging uh, this this cloud that they have hanging over them of only winning one of their matchups. Yeah, and uh, they did meet one time earlier this season. It was in the U.S. Open Cup fourth round, kind of the round of 32. That's right. Uh, Red Bulls won one zero. Uh, it was kind of a back and forth game, kind of dull, I guess. You know your typical like fifth round or uh, U.S. Open game. Like doesn't you know neither side really was investing too much into it. But that's you know a little bit extra motivation for both sides. Red Bull say we saw them this year, we beat them, and New York City said, uh, "Hey, we want to use that for for motivation for revenge." But you know, obviously, I think Red Bulls have a little bit of an edge, but we both kind of feel that New York City is playing better at this time of year. And obviously, Red Bulls don't have Dax McCarty, as you said. And I really feel like they're lacking, you know, the creativity they're going to need this this match. Oh, I completely agree. And uh, they were really relying on Sasha Kletchson to uh, take over the reins. But Dax McCarty is just such a pivotal player. I mean, look at the influence that he's made in Chicago, obviously having uh, like Juninho and Bastian Schweinsteiger really helps it a whole lot. But Dax McCarty is really that vocal leader in the midfield that has really shaped Chicago and uh, New York. The Red Bulls are really lacking that vocal leader in the midfield. And I think, I think it's definitely been shown. Well, listen, before we close guys, is there anything else, any other games coming up this weekend that you feel worthy of, of a mention? Uh, I think, I mean, the other big uh, rivalry week game that's uh, that they're promoting is the latest edition of the Cascadia Cup, uh, which is Seattle versus Portland. Uh, both teams have been in a bit of a slump. Uh, Portland just came off of a of a loss, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, to Minnesota. <laughs> they uh, both sides went down to ten men. There were like multiple own goals. Portland. 
it, you know, they're pretty good. They have seven wins this season, but they're definitely, you know, struggling of late. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I think they have two wins in their last eight games. So they're they're in a bit of a slump. Seattle, they can't get their front line uh, working the way that it needs to be. Clint Dempsey is getting closer to the time where he might need to start thinking about retirement. Uh, really, I think their their shining light is uh, Nicholas Ladero. Uh, no surprise about that, but he still hasn't been putting in the numbers that we saw the second half of the season last year. So uh, Brian Schmetzer needs to uh, figure out something to get that offense ticking again. Yeah, last night the Sounders hosted uh, Orlando without Kyle Lahren, and for the majority of the game, Seattle dominated them. They had so many chances. Dempsey had two sitters, Jordan Morris, Ladero, and Roll Don. And they really should have run them off of the field, but they only scored one. And like the stoppage time in the last kick of the game, Kaká had a set piece that someone headed in, and they blew two points. So I think this is a big turning point match for both teams. That you know, Portland, you know, they're on a slide. They could really use it in Seattle. They they do need to right the ship. They're five seven and five, and they're better than that on paper. They have one of the best squads in the league and they're not playing like it. So this could be a, a real momentum shifter for either teams in a huge rivalry game. Indeed. Well, listen, I think that's a good point to, to leave it. I know Preston has a, has to get back to his work. So we'll leave it there for today, guys. Listen, before we go, I'll fire around the table with any plugs and mentions you have. Preston, far away. Floor is yours. Yeah. You can give me a follow at PW116. Uh, you can find this show along with my other show, FCD Talk. Uh, on the on the All In Sports Talk Network, uh, it runs twenty four seven all soccer every day. Uh, uh, both those shows are obviously on the uh, uh, they're on the World Football Index podcast as well. Uh, and Steve had to jump off, but you can also give him a follow at underscore S Gennaro. Indeed, and how about yourself? Working with find you anything you're working on? Work away, my man. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, my name. It's Amit K Malik. Uh, on Twitter. I'm sure when you see this podcast post, it'll probably be linked in some way. You can find me there and give me a follow. Talk about the union and also some good U.S. men's national team coverage once they come back for the Gold Cup. No, that's great, guys. Uh, as I say, just a final thanks to Steve as well for taking the time to come on the pod today. It's very, very much appreciated. And also yourself and, and Preston Amit. Uh, from my own point of view in WFI, Things are a bit quiet and probably will continue until the end of the month to be a bit quieter um, until the transfer window in Europe sort of swings open and we'll get a few more pods in. So I say June's very much uh, a relaxed month, but we do have a couple of new podcasts on there. We have uh, the Get German Football podcast, uh, which is our new Bundesliga pod. Uh, we've also got the Colourful Kit, which is the Mexican pod, which has debuted in, in the last week. There's a couple of pods out there. So give those a bit of a look, something a bit different for you. And as I say, all your usual shows will be back and some new ones, including Portugal, um, come the end of the month and start of the, st- the start of July. So that just leaves me to thank the guys one last time. Thank you to the listener, and until we speak again, it's goodbye. Comprende